We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. Lakers moved to 5-2 and two today with a win over the Memphis Grizzlies. It was kind of uh, choppy waters for the first three quarters or so, and then LeBron turned it on in the fourth quarter. Lakers' defense kicked it up a notch, got a, a comfortable victory. They'll be playing them again on Tuesday. Uh, Darius, thoughts on the game today? Just uh, another weird early season game. Um, Lakers jumped out early and really looked like, hey, yeah, we're super more talented than this team. You you know, Memphis is down. Jaw is out with a sprained ankle. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is out with a knee issue. He hasn't played all season. Justice Winslow is out. So Memphis is really depleted. The Lakers jumped on them early and then decided they were going to not just let their foot off the gas, but get out of the car and walk. <laughs> and they stopped playing defense. Memphis got in a good rhythm, that type of game. I thought LeBron was masterful late in terms of like overall big picture stuff. I thought LeBron's feel offensively in the fourth quarter in terms of like shot pass decisions and just his overall aggressiveness was wonderful. And I thought AD really picked it up defensively in the fourth quarter I wanted to ask you both about this, actually. Vogel went to Gasol late in the fourth quarter. He hasn't been doing that a lot this season. And when he brought Gasol back in, he had Gasol dis- defending Brandon Clark, who is basically playing power forward for them. And he put AD basically at defensive center against Gorgie Chang. And AD was blowing up possession after possession defensively, basically at the point of attack and pick and rolls, switching. And so I thought AD's defense was really key down the stretch. Mike, I know that these early season games are more like, hey, stack a win. That's great. It doesn't necessarily matter how the team gets there. But did you have any like larger takeaways from this? Anything stand out offensively versus defensively? Yeah, so just to your AD point, so three blocks, three steals, that's more of the AD that we're used to uh, in, in just seeing those deflections and those plays like that. So that was good. The biggest difference in the game was LeBron just completely taking over the fourth quarter. And he he noticed, he basically 
saw what Memphis was doing and did the same thing over and over again and just bully ball uh, destroyed him by going after his own offense and getting into the paint. And, you know, they just didn't have anything uh, that they could do with him. There isn't a wing there that that has anywhere near the mass and or quickness to stick with LeBron. So it's just that thing that that's always in his bag. And he brought it out and took the Lakers home. But I thought the the encouraging part of this in this uh, this peak kind of goes back to as we were trying to figure out what was going to be different about this Lakers team before the season was on a night that maybe the energy isn't great. And for whatever reason, and as Darius mentioned, they go out to the 13, four lead. And then they were like, all right, we're good. And they took the foot off the pedal. Well, enter Montrose Harrell. And that in particular is what I think he, his biggest value uh, to this team is, is that you're always going to be able to count on regardless of, of how he's playing, if he's being efficient, if he's not playing great defense, he's going to come in and give you an energy surge. And I thought that's what he did in the kind of end of first quarter into the second quarter. And then Wes Matthews joined him. Uh, Matthews was really good tonight. Four threes out of his seven shots, uh, you know, 14 points. Uh, Horton Tucker, I thought, had some moments as well. Um, all, all of those guys were big pluses in terms of plus minus. And so it was that combination stuff, the, the typical LeBron AD stuff, and then the bench chipping in uh, in a big way with no KCP and no Caruso. Yeah, really nice bounce back game from Trez. And this is part of why I'm so bullish on the Lakers record is we're just as susceptible to the kind of general malaise that I I see, you know, in a lot of games throughout the NBA. But you've got just so many guys that even if half your team is really bringing it, you know, this was a one of those games and this is a perfect THT game, right? Like both we talked about THT and Trez in the last pod and Trez, uh, as I said in the last pod, like it's interesting to get to know the good version of a player and, and the, the bad version of them. And from what I've seen so far, when Trez can kind of get away from being who he is, he can kind of drift and sleepwalk. And his game is so predicated on that energy, Mike, and on that that burst. And he's such a, a ferocious player that I, I actually liked early on. He, you know, called for a couple and ones for the ref that weren't really and ones, but he's at his best when he's talking some shit, he's yelling, he's doing like, so whenever I see him like spirited like that, that's him at his best. And he really, really brought that. Um, we're actually going to talk about Wes in the second segment. So uh, we're going to, we're going to save that. These are perfect games for THT. The ones that have that, you know, 3 PM on a Sunday type of energy to them. Um, I thought he gave us a big boost in that first half, especially you know, he made some defensive mistakes, made some mistakes on his drives, but this is all like invaluable experience to get these minutes of him in games that are close, that are also, yeah, that, that aren't decided and, you know, him to be able to learn from his mistakes. And there's one last thing on your, on your AD point, Darius is absolutely, uh, the last time we recorded Lakers had just beaten San Antonio and AD had said, oh, I played like shit on defense. And Mike was like, Oh, I, I, didn't agree with that. And that was something I kept in the back of my mind on the rewatch. And I had thought it during the game, but uh, from rewatching it, like it was actually pretty good on defense in that game. And it kind of makes me wonder if like, if there's a certain leadership component to it, right. Of like, I'm, you don't have to be honest, but if I'm going to critique myself, then, you know, I, I have no problem critiquing you. I think he, he's sort of substituting defense for energy in a way. And that he, you know, maybe he, his whole mental approach to the game wasn't terrific. And I think that could extend almost to, to like, he's just, he's really trying to get his mind into the, the regular season has started, you know, we're not in the playoffs, the off season was short and you can just see that. I think he wears that, but then he is so incredibly talented that he ends up playing really well overall anyway, compared to other people. But it's like, that's, so Darius, what I've been noticing, and this has been more at Staples Center, we've talked about it a lot, and it's re- it's related to this point. Now that the Lakers are on the road, they would always get a big boost from two things. One, it's always a big game when the Lakers are in town. So the opposing fans are hype. They're there early. They want to see the Lake show. Um, I don't care if they're good or bad. And then you also see the crap load of purple and gold um, yeah. out there, whether it's whatever arena it's in. And both of those things give them a boost. They won 17 straight road games in the West last year. And meanwhile, they're in San Antonio, they're in Memphis, they're looking up and it's just dead. There's nothing going on there. So they had to find that and self-start that. And that's why I think it is going to be an issue um, of energy this year that wasn't last year. There, there weren't many games serious last year where you guys were going on and being like, oh man, they just didn't bring it again. You know, the, uh, what's like, what's going on? So it's going to be a different year, I think. Well, last year... 
That's true. We didn't say that a lot last year. I also thought last year was a really special team in terms of that specific regard. I thought they that, had a lot more to prove too, right? Like that yeah. was a team that this is a team that has won a championship. That was a team that was working toward it. And that's, that's a big difference. Yeah. Well, I also just think too, like the individual motivations of the guys, right? Especially LeBron with the whole revenge tour, washed King stuff to start the season. AD after he was sort of drugged through the mud a little bit for his departure from New Orleans. And then all of the sort of reclamation project guys like Dwight Howard and all of that idea of we're this band of brothers and we're going to go out there and play super hard. And this year, I think some of that has washed away a little bit. Now, to this team's credit, the last couple of games, we've seen them turn it on late when it was winning time. Pete, you had mentioned in our group chat thread over text that you thought the last win in San Antonio was like a pretty perseverant win where we were sort of like, I think all of us throughout certain extents of that game were a little bit down on the team in terms of how they were playing. I think Mike was more even keeled with the idea that it's hard to beat a team back to back, right? Especially a good team and San Antonio looks better than what we projected them to be before the season started. Down the stretch, they locked up defensively. They went to two-man game between LeBron and AD and they really focused and they did that again in Memphis this game. A lot of AD LeBron action down the stretch and you could just tell that when it's a close game, it's time to win. There is something that exists in this team's mind that they're just going to say like, all right, it's ours to go get. Let's go get it. Yeah. So I wonder how much of it is intentional and almost strategic in like, let's say that that every team is given 1000 effort points to start the season. Right. And those are to be distributed throughout the entirety of the season. And ideally you don't have to go a hundred percent early on. If you're a team that just played in the NBA finals on a short turnaround, right. This isn't the, like it wouldn't be smart to be sprinting right now. And so it becomes a calculation from game to game is how much effort do we need to put forth and how much to get this win and move on to the next game. And that's something that I've been I've been thinking more about LeBron's longevity and in context with watching him play and like, how does he do it? Like, what are the components of it? We, for example, a couple of years ago, we've talked about this a couple of times Darius, is that Win Horse article on how LeBron gets the most in-game rest. Yeah. Right. And so what are the different versions of that like how does how does he do that and so much what i've found is that his game is mental and this has been an interesting difference between lebron and ad in terms of like ad is obviously not the fully 100 percent version of him in terms of foot on the gas and he's turned very much into a jump shooter and that's what i've noticed from this team in general when we have those stretches even early on even in at the beginning of that game where we were up 13 to 4 it was off of the strength of like three threes from coups and we're generally shooting jumpers and as soon as lebron and ad started attacking the basket the game gets blown blown wide open, right? But I also understand it from their perspective of why they wouldn't want to do that for four quarters, right? Especially over the course of a full 72-game slate. And so we get turned kind of into that jump shooting team. And I almost wonder, Mike, if there's this idea of like, look, we're going to hang around for three quarters. And then when it's time to collect that win, we're going to do that in the fourth quarter, you know? Yeah, this is a good point. And it's also a... It's also a look into why the Lakers are who they are and why they're successful over other teams. And it's back to that LeBron and AD. And as much as you're right, it, at times they settle for jumpers, they still get into the paint and do more damage than almost any other duo in the league. Uh, I, like I was watching after I got back from the Laker game today, I was watching the Clippers and Suns and Kawhi and Paul George are just taking jumper after jumper after jumper after jumper in the fourth quarter. And a couple went in, but Phoenix cut a 20 plus point lead down to two. At one point, we saw the same thing in their series against Denver. Like that's it, at that point of the game, they stay shooting jumpers. And you could say the same thing about, you know, several other teams in the league and the Lakers will LeBron and AD will eventually get into the paint. So in tonight's game, AD was five for seven in the paint. And let's see, overall from two, he was six for, so he was six for 15 overall. So half his shots almost still came in the paint. Uh, LeBron 
was five for eight in the paint and he was nine for 16 overall. So half of his shots in the paint as well. And like, that's, that is still where those guys get it done. And then they also, uh, to Darius's point earlier, are making plays on the defensive end. Like there was a stretch where LeBron and AD swallowed up Valencia Yunus twice inside once they went small and Memphis was like, Oh, uh, the Lakers are small. Let's go to Jonas. And they said, Nope, shut that door, went down scored in transition. And basically the game was over. So that remains their ultimate value. That remains the biggest reason why they won last year. And I feel like a broken record, but it just, it applies yet again after today's game. Well, this is, this is what we talked about almost all last season. And I think it's one of the reasons why we were so high on this team this season with the talent that they added and the strengths of those specific players, right? Because now it's not just LeBron and AD who are going to threaten the paint. It's Schroeder as well. It's Harrell as well. And Pete's talked a lot about this over the years, about stacking strengths on top of strengths in order to ultimately make a defense break right and the warriors were a great team with that in terms of shooting and playmaking right and so you had steph and then you had clay and even that was enough to really break defenses because they would split side sides of the court and you can't cover that much ground you added kevin durant and it was like okay this isn't fair anymore right and with lebron and ad they are force multipliers when they're getting into the paint like they were in the fourth quarter. And then even when they miss, oh, look, there's Harold with a tip or here comes Kuzma crashing backside with a tip as well or Schroeder drives. And then it's AD getting a dunk off of an offensive rebound. And, and so this is what's going to wear teams down over the course of a full game, but especially just in the fourth quarter when they commit to doing it. And that's the thing. Like, yes, Pete, they do start to settle for jumpers. What's great is that those guys are viable jump shooters. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And so they totally feel comfortable. Like Braun has been shooting the hell out of the ball to start the year. AD has been at another level. I talked about that on the last pod. And so, yeah, they can more than tread water by being a jump shooting team. And what makes it so great is because their biggest strength is still driving the ball or getting to the rim when those jumpers are falling. And then AD is seeing like hurried closeouts he's just going to ball fake and get right into the painted area. And he doesn't need to get all the way to the rim. He's shooting up these 10 or these eight or 10 foot like leaners or floaters. And those are going in. So just another good win. They're five and two now stack wins, stack wins, stack wins. And look, man, they're also now, I think seventh in the league in defense their top five in in offense i think they're second in net rating right now and so it's obviously early in the season but this team projects to be exactly what we thought that they would be and they're nowhere close to playing their best basketball yet like they are still in late preseason early season mode and it shows well, Pete, this is why it's important. And I know you guys are also the past junkies to watch everybody else play because you might think, oh, you know, they, it hasn't been the best. They haven't brought their best effort. Well, guess what? Their, their three game winning streak is tied for the longest in the league with Philly. So nobody this year in the NBA is just playing yeah. bang, bang, awesome basketball every night. Uh, the, you know, the one team that had a better record, uh, Phoenix, lost tonight. Um, so they're now five and two. They share that with the Clippers and with the Suns. So they're what they're doing so far. And I think they get a little bit of an extra pat on the back four because they're the team that doesn't have to prove it uh, like a lot of these teams. So they're, I, if you would have told me, hey, five and two and a plus 11 point differential, I'd be like, good. Yeah, I like it. absolutely. Yeah. And if you're watching the games, this is with, again, the first three quarters are largely jump shooting, you know, in a in a lot of senses. And then they close it out down the stretch. And so they're expending very few of those effort points that they're given throughout the season to get this five and two record to get the point differential. Do, do you buy my theory in the first place, Mike? You're looking skeptical. I do, no, 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 I do. I was, I was already kind of, I was already thinking about Darius for a second. Cause we, we, I was like, since they're playing Memphis again, maybe we should have a two minute version of our text uh, of our text thing from earlier about who's on Memphis's roster. Cause I think it's applicable to what to like sure. 
you know what we're seeing um in what what is happening around the rest of the league but do you want to do you want to introduce what our discussion was i would say that memphis has good nba players on their roster and i said look Kyle Anderson and Jonas Valanciunas and Dylan Brooks. These guys are good NBA players. And I said, I like Tyus Jones and Desmond Bain can shoot the hell out of the ball. And like, so, and I really like Brandon Clark. They were obviously down their two best guys. And those guys are super talented players, but I'm just like, look, man, like if the Lakers aren't going to play hard, these are good NBA players who are going to basically take it to them and they need to basically put some effort together in order to get this win. And Mike, you and I went back and forth a little bit about whether or not these players are actually good or if they are average. And so maybe this is just a case of semantics <laughs> here. Well, it's mostly semantics, but I, so I, one of the things that I like about you is that you are more of a, a Hooper optimist in a sense, like you'll give credit to guys you know, you'll, you're not a hater. You're not going to go after somebody on another team. And so like, I, and I, I generally think that I'm, I'm mostly the same way. Um, and Pete, you can weigh in as to, as to where you sit on this, as long as guys aren't playing for the Celtics. But like <laughs> my, my take in watching it is that, especially in the first quarter, those guys who Darius was calling good, were certainly playing well. And, you know, again, that's Valencia Yunus, uh, that's Kyle Anderson, who had had a couple of back-to-back -back hoops. Tyus Jones made his first several shots, you know, and but for, for me, those guys are average at best NBA players in terms of there aren't 15 players in the league on other teams at those positions, either starting or on the bench that you would take behind those guys. Um, so I, I'd say at best, they are average. And if you put Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr., although even you know JJ slipped a little bit last year, you know that those are good NBA players. But these are my my point is like they're this is going to happen around the league, and certain teams are going to absolutely have the juice to really beat the Lakers if they don't bring it. But if you're down to Memphis by ten in the first quarter, you're not really sweating because these guys can be handled. And by the way, you jinxed Dylan Brooks. He was 0 for 9 in the second half um, after you said that he was. But so maybe maybe either D, D you can come back or Pete if you want to weigh in here. But that, that, it's like a little bit of a semantics thing. But I would say that good was a little bit generous, uh, although it makes me like you more as a person um, that you were ascribing <laughs> to the Grizzlies. So I think that probably side closer to Mike on, on that. But when we were previewing, you know, doing the three, three, eight pod, right. I like them as a supporting cast, but without John in particular, the shot. Hollinger thinks they all stink, by the way. Uh, yeah. Well, like, yeah. Hollinger thinks they all stink. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Just shot creation really goes out the window. Uh, when, when jaw's not there, uh, JJJ spreads the court, you know, spreads the floor, um, and has this kind of diverse skill set that is really unique that once you take those two guys out of the equation, there's just not a lot of guys who can create a shot. So the Lakers had the ability to just kind of turn the faucet off whenever they want. And now the Lakers have that ability to do that in the NBA finals in game six. Right. It, uh, and so that's not a, a diss on another team, but they have the ability, the Lakers have the ability to kind of drift around for three quarters and then, turn the faucet off very quickly and then it's like oh it's a 12 point game so to be fair even when the lakers were down 10 or 12 points it was more irritation at this is what it is rather than like fear that they were going to jerk around and and have this game be a loss in the end i thought eventually they would find their way and as pete said they would turn the faucet off as far as the players and their quality I would just my final point on that is, is that context does matter. Right. And so and and, you know, I'm big on slotting and how guys fit into the overall structure of what their team is like. And so you move players three through ten on that roster up to have to be one through seven. Right. Or one through eight. And they look different in terms of whether or not they're good or are they average 
right? Based off of what the ask is of them versus when they can be three through eight. And, and, and so would I take Dylan Brooks or any of those guys that I mentioned, would I take them on the Lakers? Like, sure, because I think they're good NBA players and that if you slot them appropriately around the talent that the Lakers have, I think that they could play in similar roles to a guy like KCP or Kyle Kuzma or or any other number of role players that the Lakers have, and we'd probably think differently of them. So a lot of times when I say like good versus like Mike, you you might say average. Look, a league average NBA player, that dude is still to be a good basketball player because well, sure. I, but it's all relative though, right? So like we're yes. it, it's assumed that it's real if you're saying good, right? Then yeah, it, it's all relative to what the competition is. Like they're all good. But like if they're if you have if you have Clark and Anderson and Brooks coming off the bench um alongside yeah, I guess if DeAnthony Melton's back, like that, yeah, that's a pretty good bench. But if those guys are starters, then they're not good. Like they're then you're then you're average. Yeah, but I, yeah. We probably that's a different on that already. Different conversation. Speaking of a, a player who went from starting to the bench in, in the opposite direction, um, Wes Matthews had another really good game today. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into not just his night tonight, but just what we've seen from him overall. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. So Darius, there's a way that Wes Matthews shoots that I think is really important to this team. And with the offseason moves that we made, it's very easy to like compare Mark to JaVale and Dwight or like Mark and Trez to those two and compare Wes Matthews to Danny Green, compare Schroeder to Rondo. And this particular difference in Matthews's game has been, especially now that, you know, started out struggling, I think started out 0 for 8 in his first first few games. Uh He's really turned it on, hit four threes in this game. He can shoot while moving laterally. He can shoot like sidestep threes. He can come off of a screen and hit a three off of relocations in ways where like Danny was very much a step-in shooter. Uh, He was always very good at leaning in or if those pull-up threes in transition. But if you asked Danny to like shot fake and sidestep, Like that was always going to be off. And that's one thing when teaching shooting, you try to minimize any left, right movement beforehand. And those are more complex, more difficult shots. So having a guy, we had a lot of down the stretch before they went to the LeBron AD pick and roll, they had a lot of LeBron West ball screen action, right? And that's a a go-to for a long time from J.R. Smith to, you know, KCP ran that a lot with LeBron over the last couple of years having a guy like Wes that can do that and can hit those threes while moving from side to side, man, it adds such a great dimension to the spot up shooting of this team. And it's been really exciting to see him not just making shots, but the types of shots that he's making. Well, even just the types of shots that he's taking. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, I think that those are just as important within the context of the overall flow of how you build out an, an offense. Right. Because if a guy is just going to be standing in the same place the entire time, basically, or just running the baseline. Right. Then that's one type of action. And while you can still lose a guy, I thought Danny Green did a great job of running the baseline, of acting like he was going to cut all of the way through and then reversing and then reversing course and going back to the same corner. He had a bunch of relocation tricks that I thought were like fantastic. Right. But that's different than the Lakers ran a version of their um, double wide pin down, which they would typically do in a handoff action out of their horn set. Right. Um, And this was the last game against the Spurs and it was Wes Matthews that was in the corner. And I think 
LeBron goes and sets the first screen, and then Gasol buried um, whoever was guarding Wes on the second screen. Wes comes off, and he hard plant left foot, turn and catch at the same same time and elevated for a three-point shot, and he buried it. And it's just like, oh, okay, like – that's a high is, level shot. That's a different type of shot than anything the Lakers would have asked Danny Green to do last season. And this game, not not only was he setting a lot of hard screens for LeBron for pick and pop actions, but Wes also got a three when he ghosted the screen, right? And so he ran right through, popped out. That's also a difficult catch because you're running past LeBron. So at some point, your back is to him. And then you have to plant outside foot now, right foot, drop pivot back with your left foot in order to come back in and catch the ball. It's also uh, catching side of the basket too, right? Like when you're in that type of movement, you've got to be able to lock in the, the visual of the basket too. So here I am with like a football analogy again, but it's almost like a back corner throw from like the quarterback, right? Where like the ball is coming and your back is to it and then you've got to plant with the outside foot and then turn in order to then catch the ball and then after you catch it you have to locate the basket get your feet set and shoot the ball and bury it and so Wes is showing some off movement shooting ability that you talked about this when he was signed and you said that you were fairly excited about the prospect of him being able to shoot I would imagine these exact type of shots that he's been making threes on now but that's right there is a dynamic element to this now look KCP can shoot on the move a little bit it's not his strength but he can do that Kuz is showing some ability to do that now I sure. loved that corner three that Kuz got when they oh when he stepped back and he faded the route yeah so that entry pass to ad and then you do that hard cut right baseline and Schroeder does this a lot and he gets the handoff a lot in order to go right to the basket but Kuz read that right that his man cut under or he cut over the top of ad to meet him on the other side so he faded that and then caught the ball and stepped back and hit a fading to his left three in the left-hand corner. These are difficult shots, but they expand what you can do offensively. And getting back to Wes, A, I'm glad that he's finding his rhythm. He looked like one of the guys who did not have his flow when the season started. Um, Because if he can start to hit these shots now, Mike, the Lakers are going to be even more of a dangerous team. Like, they're over 40% three as a team now and that's ridiculous yeah so the sample size is small but as frank vogel has emphasized it's not so much about the percentage right now it's about the quality of shots and the quality of three-point looks that they're generating is very good and that's expected to a degree when you put marcus all out there you add another passer another guy who could shoot you're leaving the lane less clog uh, you're opening it for drivers which means the defense has to pinch in and you guys just mentioned several of the players that can also just create their own three um, off the dribble on a on a on a kick, like whatever. So that's all positive. To me, my Wesley Matthews takeaway is more okay. Yep, he could be on the floor when it matters. Right? Like he's he's a, he's not a guy that you have to worry about. Where you know the first couple games he wasn't in a rhythm yet. Clearly, I, I think offensively or defensively. But now, in in when they needed him to play some more minutes. Uh, he stepped up and played well, and he was key to two of these road victories. Uh, you know, he went and combined 11 for 13 uh, in the games at Memphis and at San Antonio, and that was 10 for 12 from three. So he's on the season now well over 40%. And it, like that's that's the important thing for me. And, and I hate to always kind of big picture things and minimize things, but when you have a defending champ, those are the kind of big questions that you want to have answers to. And you don't want to think, well, wait a second, are you sure you're going to be able to play this guy when it counts in a rotation piece? And and I'm, I'm already seeing my, at least my own confidence that Matthews is can hack it. There uh, seems to be pretty clear. Mike, what have you seen from him on the defensive end? Cause I've had some concerns in, in a few of the games, but uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on him big picture there. Yeah. So I, I think that he's, I'd say mixed. I mean, it, it's still like, I, I, he's not to the point where 
I would ever think, oh, yeah, he can't be on the floor. But there are certain matchups that aren't ideal for him. Uh, and, and, and like th- those are really more of the bigger wings that that can shoot straight over the top easily. And I think Pete, you might have even talked about this earlier where you might have coups for certain of those guys in some situations. But Wes is a good guy if, if you're if somebody's going to try to back him down. Um, he's pretty stout. He's pretty heavy in those situations. But I think that's he's still a he's also still kind of figuring out it's a bit there's some similarities between Milwaukee and the Lakers and how they had him play and that there was, there was rim protection behind with the bucks, or at least the idea of it almost all of the time. And with this Lakers team, there is that rim protection, but it's just a little different from what it was last year. And I think that's mostly true with the second unit. So when, especially if AD is not out there or if AD is playing in the second unit, but he's not really playing protect the rim, you know, it's like the first quarter and he's more drifting to the perimeter. Then, then it's just Trez back there. And you can't give up that same type of a lane in that situation. Um, as if you were playing with Marcus all, if you were playing w- when AD is the center and Braun is in rim protection mode. And those are more of the times Pete, where I've, I've sort of noticed that Wes is kind of, he's still playing as if he's got that channel there, but I, I'd be interested in your take too. Cause I know you've been watching some film on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's something that um, with on ball defense, a lot of times the guy who's defending the guy with the ball, and this is counterintuitive if you're watching the game, his job isn't necessarily to stay in front of him. His job is to funnel him in a certain direction, right? Where it's like NBA players are too good that if you put a guy one-on-one in space and you don't put a dribble limit on them, they're going to get by that guy, right? Like they're, they're going to make certain moves. And so on the perimeter, when you're defending a guy with the ball, if it's on, you know, on the wing and there's a ball screen we talk about icing the screen and not letting the guy go middle if it's up top we talk about weaking the screen which means we're going to send this guy to his left no matter what so if the screen sends him to his left let him use the screen if the screen sends him to his right don't let him use the screen and uh a lot of times especially the first couple of games i'd be watching wes and i'd go like the positioning of your bot, like you're giving a free route right to the basket. There's a play against Kawhi in particular uh, in, in the opening night game, or maybe it was one of the preseason games, um, but he funneled him toward the middle and Kawhi went, okay. And then drove middle and then shot the ball over Trez. Right. And it, that was, if that's Brooke Lopez and Giannis back there, or even if it's AD and JaVale or Dwight back there, that's certainly how you do it. But I do think that there's a certain he, he spoke spoken to this is his uh, media availabilities are great. One of my favorite on the team, a really insightful guy, but he's spoken of both adjusting defensive philosophy wise, but also adjusting. He's been a starter for well over a decade in this league, Darius. And so he's having to adjust not only different defensive concepts and styles, but also just a completely different role. Yeah. So Mike, I think you made a great point about the idea of, the Lakers play a similar defense to Milwaukee, but not quite the same. And one of the areas where the Lakers are similar is like they do want to sort of like keep the ball in front of you, force balls to the mid range, and then hopefully protect the basket. The Lakers and the Bucks, and there's a ton of teams that play this style where the Lakers, I think, differentiated themselves from a lot of other teams that played a drop coverage as sort of their base is that they also really want to scramble back and not let you get off a bunch of three-pointers. And Milwaukee was the opposite. They were perfectly fine giving up a bunch of threes, particularly if they were like above the break threes. Pete, so you talked a lot about Wes's like man-to-man defense and some of the things that he's doing there. One of the areas where I'm like, oh, like this needs to be sharper if you're going to be in a closing lineup for the Lakers is how are your rotations back to the arc? And then what are you doing to a, to get there and then B to actually not just fly by, right? It's one thing like, Oh, I'm going to close out. And this guy is about to like shoot. So let me lunge at them and run right by them. No, that's not what the Lakers do. The Lakers rotate, they chop their steps, they close out, And then they slide with you when they are at their best. And that's where I think Wes is sort of like, if there's a big adjustment for him, it's not just the idea of, oh, where's my help? Let me funnel the right way. Understanding personnel and some of the stuff that you and Mike were 
both talking about. It's that, yeah, that that three that's above the break, we actually don't want to give that up regardless like there's maybe one guy or two guys on each team that the Lakers might feel comfortable giving up that three pointer to everyone else. You better get on your horse. You better go and, and either contest that three high because the ball is coming out of his hand or get out there, break down in your stance and then slide and then funnel again. And these are small adjustments, but they're meaningful adjustments between what West was asked to do last year with Milwaukee versus what he's asked to do this year with the Lakers. No, that's certainly the case. And you can have, I, I mean, yeah, the Lakers have a different philosophy toward defending the the three-point line than, than Milwaukee did. I also think that by and large, it's two factors. It's we as a team are kind of over helpers or we're, we will collapse into the paint a little more. Our closeouts haven't been great, but that's one of the areas where it's it can be so reductive to say, oh, they didn't have energy tonight. But one of the areas of the game that is most impacted by that is closeouts to the three-point line, right? And it makes sense. It's the the farthest distance you have to cover in the shortest period of time. And it requires your full effort to really get all the way out there. So I've actually been generally happy with his help defense, uh, more so than, than his on-ball defense. And his slower or weak closeouts have been kind of team-wide i i need to see a little bit more on on that front before i get too upset with him but he he seems to really be kind of uh settling into the the position he's in well there's a fine line with veterans because there's a certain there's the whole cliff thing and if a guy has been around for a while there's always that year where they can go over the cliff and not do anything but i think sometimes we overcompensate and we watch Matthews play the first couple games this year and people are already immediately writing him off like there's no player in there and which was stupid at the time I, you guys didn't do it um, but it's just a it's a reminder as hard as it is so I always think about this in the NFL like when you watch something in week one you have to be super careful not to jump to conclusions and then there's the flip side of that which is well wait like is, that's part of our jobs and there are some tells so it's, it's a delicate balance sure. But I, I think it was important with Matthews, who started 77 games last year, was good, um, was not the problem for the Bucks in the playoffs. You know, like that that there was some there there should have been a little bit more of an allotment than, oh, he hasn't made a three in the first th- three games like he sucks. He can't play. And so, Mike, we always got to be mad about something with yeah. as Laker fans. We've always got one guy on the team, at least. And uh, yeah, Kuz battles for that spot sometimes. But we got to be like absurdly upset with uh, yeah, I mean, find somebody to, to jump on. And it's, it's human. It's not nature, fair. Though, right? I'm just saying this is no, it's, it's, but it's human nature. nature. It's human nature. Sure. It's not just basketball. It's life. It's life. It's life like that. Like any we're always we're, our brains work like that. OK, our, our brains see what is conclusion and like it's caveman stuff. And so it's just it's it's a brain heart thing. And um, this it, it's still going to evolve. There's still I still need to see 20 games more, you know, of Matthews to really determine what kind of lineups I like him most in. But I'm just glad that he had a couple of nice games here to take some of that weight off um, and, and not have to maybe deal with what KCP dealt with last year, which seemed like it stuck all the way through the all star break because he missed his first 12 shots of the year, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that was uh uh, you mentioned like the different lineups that you like him in. I thought it was interesting. He was one of the first subs and he and THT came in fairly early. And um, it's nice to see Vogel kind of tinkering with, with those lineups. I kind of complained a little bit Darius about the, as soon as LeBron goes out, right. That we kind of lose our disorganization. Uh, just last small topic to cover before we, we wrap it up. Just the the change in the rotation. THT gave us some good minutes tonight. Um, you know, Matthew's coming in early. What did you think of the adjustments for this one? Yeah, like, I think that I like them, but they were also sort of by necessity a little bit. So no KCP, still no Alex Caruso, um, right? right? And, and so those are two key rotation players. Like in our last pod, we were talking about them potentially being the closing sure. backcourt, right? Sure. And both, both guys, those are, guys out are out. Time. And yep. so you have to go deeper into your bench. This is a point that Mike's been making and hammering home for what feels like two months now. The Lakers can have these guys out and really not miss a beat, right? And and and, and so Wes, you got you get an extra shift this game or your shift is not going to be a six minute shift. It's going to be an eight minute shift. Right. And THT, you're going to play 
like three shifts this game, right? You may not come back in the fourth, but you're going to get a couple of extra chances in order to go out there and, and and get some some real run. To those guys' credit, I thought while LeBron and AD were the key in the fourth quarters, like going into the third, Trez and Wes had scored, I think, two fewer points than LeBron, AD, and Schroeder combined right through three quarters and so the bench was huge this game in terms of the amount of box score production that they gave the lakers and so i was super pleased with just the general level of play that those guys brought Wes especially but i thought tht was really good and it's good to see him stack a second strong performance after um the last game in San, San Antonio and then the first game when he sat right and so after being on the bench for a full game he's now had a back to back really good efforts and useful minutes he called out a play for LeBron to set him up for that corner screen series that the Lakers typically run for, for AD. Right. And so normally it's Braun who is calling all of that stuff out. Right. Cause he's got the ball in his hands and he's giving up the ball in the backcourt to like an Alex Caruso or maybe a Rondo last season. And saying you bring the ball up, enter to me at the elbow and then go to the corner and screen for AD and that's like a Lakers pet play. Well, it was THC this time who said, Braun, you go to the corner, Keith, you get it at the elbow. I'm going to enter to you, Keith, and I'm going to go get this screen for you, Braun. And then Braun drove or he came off the curl, got the pass. Keith hit him with, with a good pass and Braun got a layup plus the foul. Those are, when you talk about maturity and what THT is showing as like if these incremental steps forward, that sort of like understanding personnel that's on the floor, organizing things and getting people in the right position and then calling out the play that works, right? To set Braun up as a finisher, that's just good, heady stuff from him. So, so I thought this was a really sort of nice building block game for him again. One of my favorite uh, quotes about the relationship between a player and a coach is that like, I don't want a player who can't do what I ask of him, but I don't want a player who can only do what I ask of him and making those in the moment type of evaluations and reads and be like, Hey, this is the, this will work if we do this right now because of this and that it starts to, I've seen a, a few possessions, Mike, where THT started to call for Trez to set him a screen and like, look, it's great to have him working as that off ball guy, improving as a defender. He made some, made a couple mistakes today, but showed signs of progress. Right. And he's can be really disruptive with the, you know, his size. He can chest bump guys where you're not fouling them, but you're kind of controlling them while, having his those long arms out and all of that um but he's starting to i'm seeing a more and more comfortable player out there and that's why just these first games mike they're so so valuable to his development and it's great to see him getting this run in games that aren't quite decided in the fourth quarter yeah for sure and we'll see that happen whether or not the lakers rotation is full or not uh, we, we've already seen that vogel is more than comfortable going to thc even if he's got his full complement of guards but I'm not going to read much into the rotation from the last two days in the backcourt because it was by necessity. I will read into the fact, though, that he brought Marcus Saul back in. Uh, I think that's important to have certain games where it's not like I don't want Mark to just become, you know, the JaVale McGee sort of first quarter, third quarter. I think he's, you know, he's better than that. And there are times that he should be used, especially in certain matchups. And so that's good to see. And that would be the one the one involvement from the previous couple of games that Vogel has in his bag to use. I thought it was important too, Mike, that not only did he go back to Gasol, but he brought him in when Valanchunas was not in the game, right? And 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 so it's one thing to sort of single out like, oh, there's the big plotting center, right? Who is strong. That's Mark's guy, right? And so let's bring Gasol back in. No, like he brought him back in when it was when it was Jang and and um Brandon Clark on the floor. And then I thought it was also like a little bit telling that he assigned Mark to Clark, right? Because typically it would be vice versa. AD had been guarding Clark almost all game exclusively when he was in the game and he was, and he was next to Trez. Um, 
And Trez was the guy who was guarding Valanchunas. He was the one who was guarding Gorgie Jang. And it was AD who was on Clark, who was mostly floating around the perimeter. But so just something to look out for. That was like an early indicator to me that Vogel might see Mark as a more versatile defender. So not only going back to him, which I think is important, which is the point that that you made, but that he switched up the defensive assignments, too. So so I'm tucking that one away just to see if that's something that is a trend or just a blip. Yeah, one of the pleasant surprises of early on for me has been Mark's perimeter defense, and uh, which I think has been better than his interior defense. Although his, you know, he has certainly won his battles down there. He could also lose them, but that ability to play out on the perimeter to have some degree of positional versatility didn't really exist with our our bigs last year, right? And so that's been really exciting. I, I can't wait to see how that develops. And as as far as regards to go, of course, this is not going to be the rotation when KCP and Alex are healthy. But I do think we've talked about like data points and how does this guy, like seeing Wes come in as the first sub, uh, you know, rather than coming in in the second quarter, those are just different lineups, different groups. And it, it plays into the whole, just getting data on seeing guys get some run together and see what they look like. But uh, Lakers move to five and two with a 108 to 94 victory over Memphis. Going to play them again in Memphis on Tuesday. But until then, You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. Catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Brian. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.